Father God, I need more. Our church needs more. My family needs more. I want more. I want more hope, more joy, more peace, more love. I want the fullness of life that Jesus offers. Father, saturate my soul with your spirit so that I overflow with Jesus. I want more. But I confess I'm full of everything but Jesus. I've loaded my mind with so much noise that it's weary and worried. I've heaped stuff upon my soul that's left little space for the spirit who truly satisfies. I filled my time with my own agenda. I'm full, but it's not you. Something has to go. I'm bringing you everything, not you, that fills me up. I open my hands in a posture of surrender. Empty me. The noise, the distractions, the clutter, the fears, my attempts to control, my bitterness, my wounds. The burdens I've tried to carry on my own, my attempts to control, my stuff, even me. Empty me of me. With open hands, I surrender everything, not you. Empty me so you can fill me with joy and peace that overflows in hope. Empty me so you can saturate my soul with your spirit. Empty me so I can abound with the life coming from your hand. Fill us so full that we can't help but overflow with Jesus. Fill our families with your presence. Fill our neighborhoods with your love. Fill our valleys with the knowledge of your glory. Fill us so full that we can't help but overflow with Jesus. Amen. Hey everybody, welcome to Calvary. I am so glad that you are joining in with us. Uh, I have my wife, Lynn, um, back home from the hospital with her titanium bionic knees and we're into the recovery process. And I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you um, to everybody who prayed and sent a card, um, commented on Facebook. Uh, we are really grateful. And uh, she's doing well um, moving forward and we're, we're excited about what the future holds. January 2nd, 2023 is a football date I I will not soon forget. Of course, Penn State won the Rose Bowl. That was a great game. But to be honest, I'm talking about the Monday night game between the Bills and the Bengals. Before the broadcast was over, almost 24 million people were tuned in to ESPN and ABC. It ended up being the most watched Monday night football game in ESPN history. Why? Well, if you are familiar at all, it's because Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin, suffered a cardiac arrest and and collapsed on the field in the first quarter. As the ambulance carrying DeMar rolled off the field, a huddle of players and staff knelt in this huge, intimate circle of prayer. They bowed their heads, hands on shoulders, tears streaming down their faces, and they prayed. It was a nationally televised prayer meeting led by team chaplain Len Vandenboss. The, the, the subdued stadium burst into applause as the players knelt. It was the first of many extraordinary prayer moments for our public soul. We, we saw online, online posts of Bengals fans reciting the Lord's Prayer in the stands. Most of downtown Cincinnati was lit all night in Bill's Blue to call people to prayer. Hundreds of Bengals and Bill's fans prayed together by candlelight outside the medical center. Did you watch the prayer on ESPN? Dan Orlovsky told his colleagues on the live broadcast that thoughts and prayers are not enough. I want to pray now, he said. And he bowed his head closed his eyes, and prayed as, as powerful a prayer as any one of us ha- has ever prayed. God, he said, we come to you in these moments. We, we don't understand. I, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer, and we lift up DeMar Hamlin's name in your name. 
his co-anchors quietly murmured, Amen. Every NFL team changed its Twitter profile picture to the message, Pray for DeMar. Jill Kelly, wife of former Bills quarterback Jim Kelly, led a crowd in prayer outside Highmark Stadium in Buffalo. Hannah Stevens posted something on Facebook, and within an hour she had 11,000 likes, 1,000 comments, and 18,000 shares. She wrote, When the scary and horrific moment with DeMar happened, politics didn't matter, race didn't matter, playoffs didn't matter. What mattered? Prayer. DeMar's life and asking God to spare his life. This, she said, is what we're capable of. We can set aside things that don't matter. We're capable of looking past political parties and NFL playoffs. We're capable of uniting together to pray for a friend in desperate need and in a world eager to remove God from everything, she closed out her post. We've been reminded that we need him more than ever. Now, someone who is passionate about prayer and revival and, and moves of God, honestly, I can't help but wonder what God might do with all of this. The last few days have been a nationally collective moment where we've been asked the question, what matters? Why am I here? DeMar graduated from a Catholic high school in Pittsburgh and, and has spoken occasionally of his faith. I feel like that's God talking to me, he told a reporter a little over a year ago, referring to his charitable work. I really feel like that's my purpose. That's why he put me here. Maybe you know DeMar had started a GoFundMe with a goal of $2,500 for kids in his hometown of McKee's Rocks, PA, just to buy them toys. I think it's getting close to $8 million. When he woke up in the hospital, his first question, he couldn't speak. He wrote it out. Who won? He asked. Someone on the medical team responded, you did, DeMar. You won the game of life. Now, isn't that what we're all looking to win? And whether or not we win the game of life, honestly, it all depends on why you think you're here. Why are you here? What is our why? Listen to this video. Michael Jr. asked the same question in a different way. I I love the video. Just listen. And when you understand, clearly, when you understand your why, your what has more impact. I have an example. Uh, one of my what's that I'm currently doing is I have a, a web series out called uh, Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, it's on YouTube. We, we throw them out on Wednesdays. And basically what break time is, it's one of my live stand-up comedy performances. Whenever I'm doing a concert anywhere in the country, in the middle of my show, I will stop doing what I'm doing and just talk to audience members. And comedy just kind of happens. Well, we're in Winston-Salem. I'm about to show you a clip. We're in Winston-Salem, and this guy, uh, I talked to him, and he said he's a teacher. And uh, it's, it's break time. We're sitting down. He said he was a teacher, and he teaches music. And I was like, well, uh, you know, can you sing? And um, check out what happens. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let, me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of, like, uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if. Uh, your uncle just got out of jail. You got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know what version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. 
So the first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time I asked him to sing, he knew why he was doing it. When you understand your why, your what has more impact because you are walking in or towards your purpose. The key is to understand the why. So here's the question. What is your why? (laughs) Your why drives your what? Paul is describing his why in Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, when he says, I once thought that all these things, he's talking about all the things in his life that were important to him at one point. He said, I I once thought all these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, Paul wrote, I've discarded, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I might gain Christ. There's nothing greater than Christ. Compared to Christ, every good thing has no value. Christ is the treasure of Christianity. Listen, I don't know why you're here, right here in this moment, but if it's not because of Christ, you're missing everything. And I love Calvary, but sooner or later, we'll let you down. You'll leave empty. Don't come because of the people or the preaching or the programs or the worship or the ways that we serve the community. Don't come to Harvest Fields because of the cool play space or free coffee and donuts. Come because of Christ. Our why is gaining Christ. And to every college student trying to set the course of their life, to everyone sprinting into the destruction of a midlife crisis, to those contemplating an affair, a promotion, winning the lottery, or, or going on some grand adventure. Listen, there is a hunger and a thirst deep inside of you that nothing will touch, nothing except Christ. But Christ is more than enough. I'm not merely saying he can do more than enough for you. I'm not merely saying he has, he has more than enough for you. I'm saying he is in and of himself. He is more than enough. I'm saying that if you have Jesus and nothing else, you have more than enough. But the question is, are we willing to stop feeding it banquet tables where the main course is not Christ? I mean, if it's necessary, will we let go of even the good to go after God? Have you noticed the hunger pains that come from spending too long away from his word? Do I have, and if not, do I want a glorious, gut-wrenching hunger for Christ? Last Sunday, we we started a a 50-day journey focused on the what? Focused on spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, things to do. It's, It's our what. But if we forget the why, the what is a waste of time. 
for seven weeks plus a day from January 1st for 50 days. We're focusing on emptying ourselves to make space for God. The emptying is the what. God is the why. Why empty ourselves? Why try new practices, new rhythms of life, new rules? Why, why might we be drawn to spiritual disciplines? Dallas Willard describes the why of the what when he writes, it's because you love God and desire the intimacy of spirit-filled living. It is a loving reunion with the one who has always been faithful to you. We fill ourselves, he writes, with the goodness that has always been there. Our hearts and our lives need the disciplines so that we can experience intimacy with God and walk in his spirit. Over and over again, in your journals that that you got, the 50-day journals, and in the deeper resources online, and in the weekend messages, you're going to be asked to try something, to do something, to empty something out. But but listen, all of this, it's, it's not to get better at a practice. It's not to merely empty out my life. It's not just to get into better spiritual shape. It, it's to make space for God because Christ is my why. So last weekend, we touched on the emptying practice of serving because serving empties me of me. <laughs> this weekend, we're introducing the emptying practices of silence and solitude. Today, silence and solitude are two of the most ignored and overlooked practices. Henri Nouwen said, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. But a lot of us try, right? I mean, we're addicted to noise and afraid of solitude, but but one of the great enemies of the shaping of our soul and a thriving life is our lack of stillness. We, we hear the word of God in the stillness. We find the life of God in his word Maybe we should stop looking for more where he is not. Maybe we should stop pursuing more noise for less Christ. One of my favorite silence and solitude stories is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Here's what it says. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, but there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Now study the Gospels, and you'll find that this house was one of Jesus' favorite houses. Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus were close friends of Jesus, and Jesus loved hanging out at their place. On this particular day, Martha is hosting as Mary sits at Jesus' feet, listening to his words. Don't don't miss that. Get get this picture in your mind. There's a storm of activity and, and busyness and distraction all around her, but Mary is sitting with Jesus, quietly listening, breathing in the words of Jesus. When's the last time you had a a merry moment? When's the last time you just sat with Jesus? You know, as I, I thought about silence and solitude this week, the thought occurred to me that because Jesus is always with us, we are actually never alone. I realize that some of us are afraid of solitude, but when we enter into solitude, we're not alone. We're just alone with God. Solitude is simply an attempt to get some one on one time with Jesus. Let me ask you, what if it was just as possible today to sit at his feet and and listen to Jesus as it was that day for Mary? What what if Jesus isn't the one who is absent? 
Just ask yourself, how often do I miss what I need because I'm distracted by what I think I lack? Martha was distracted by all the details of life, distracted and hurried by all that she had to do. It's a familiar story, right? Martha's activity and Mary's adoration. Martha's hustle, Mary's hush. Martha's service, Mary's sitting. Martha is so busy doing for Jesus that she doesn't have time to be with Jesus. The introverts and and romantics among us love to shake our heads at Martha. Don't remember, God created both Mary and Martha. Man, if you love the hustle, activity, and service, God created you that way. If you're the dreamer who loves hush more than hustle, God created you that way. When Martha's brother Lazarus died, John specifically relates that Jesus loved Martha. And I guarantee you Martha had her moments. But on on this particular day, maybe she was even in a season of life where she was just out of breath with so much serving, so much to do. Luke uses three words to describe her that that are some of the same words that keep us from silence and solitude today. She was distracted, she was worried, and she was upset. Now, the Greek word for distracted, it literally means to be drawn away. She was drawn away. I think of it like spiritual mindlessness. Psychologists define mindlessness as a tendency towards mental drift. Our minds are drawn away. We aren't paying attention, right? We we go on autopilot. Have you ever been spiritually mindless? Have you ever found yourself coming out of a a worship service, a prayer meeting, or even a Bible study, listen to others say, wow, God was, was here tonight, and you're thinking, whoops, who? Did I miss something? This week, I was reading the Old Testament story of Jacob and his night at Bethel. It's in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob was on the run. He he hadn't listened to God or anyone else in a long time, and he went to sleep, and he had a dream. Jacob's ladder, you've heard of that, this dream of angels going up and down. It was a vision of the spiritual realities that he'd been too busy to, to gain. He'd just been missing them. And Jacob woke up, he was shaking it, and he said, surely God is in this place, and I didn't even know it. (laughs) Awesome. This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven, and I didn't even know it. And I just wonder how often God shows up today, and and we we don't even know it. How often God speaks, and we, we don't even hear it. A friend of mine was a pastor of a large church in Minnesota, Church of the Open Door, and at one particular season, the kids were going through a curriculum focused on prayer, and they were learning that prayer is conversation with God, which their teacher said that that means God speaks to us and we can hear him. And by the way, listen to me, if if God doesn't speak today, man, we're really messing people up when we tell them that they can have a personal relationship with God. In fact, Henry Blackaby in his study on experiencing God said that if we're having trouble hearing God speak, we are in trouble at the very heart of our relationship with him. So back to these kids hearing God speak. Weeks later, a mother came in to talk to the the kids director about her six-year-old son. After a a particular class, he'd come home thoughtful but concerned. And, And he finally asked, Mom, what does God's voice sound like? Our our teacher said God talks to us, but I've never heard him. Mom, what does God sound like? (laughs) Now, some of us would have had to use our imagination and our answers because we're not really sure, but she did her best. And in the coming days, his concern didn't go away. It intensified. This little guy desperately wanted to hear God speak. His his mom was ready to come in and get some advice from her church leaders, but before that could happen, her son came running one day into the kitchen yelling, Mom, it finally happened. I heard it. I heard it. Heard what, dear? I I heard God's voice. 
Oh, and what did it sound like? Oh, he said it. It sounded like a whisper past my heart and out my ears. <laughs> and it takes focus and attention to hear a voice like that. It takes desire, maybe even a little desperation to hear a whisper past our hearts and out our ears. Because we have so much noise. Competing voices, digital noise, iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Ring, TikTok, Facebook, CNN, Fox, Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Netflix, so many stinking voices, so much noise, never alone, never silent. I'm telling you, notifications alone get more of our attention than the whisper of God. Kids between 8 and 18 spend seven and a half hours daily, 53 hours a week on screens. And and then we bring our kids to an hour of church on Sunday. What voices do you think are shaping their souls? We're distracted. We're spiritually mindless. That's why we need to practice the emptying practice of silence and solitude. But Mary was also worried and anxious, troubled. Literally in the Greek, it says she was pulled apart, pulled into pieces. She was worried and and, and hurried and troubled, <laughs> pulled into pieces with her life in this noisy upheaval. Not long after moving to Chicago, John Ortberg, a pastor, called his friend Dallas Willard, who's written so much on spiritual disciplines, called him to ask for some spiritual direction. He, he described his current situation, the state of his heart, his family life, his job, and, and then he asked, well, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy in my current circumstances? There was a long pause on the phone. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, he said at last. There was another long pause. Okay, okay, I've got that one written down. That's a good one. Now, what else is there? There was another long pause. There is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Uh, A mentee of John Orberg's, John Mark Comer, has written a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's in our deeper resources. Maybe, Maybe that's a book for you to read. Are those words for you today? Some of you are not yet ready to be convinced, but listen, when is the last time you you had the time to just let God have you? I mean, really have you? How long since you gave him an undiluted, uninterrupted portion of time? And And I know, I know it's hard. There's so many tweets to twit and events to attend and work to do and statuses to update and shows to binge and kids to feed and events to watch and emails to check. But what if we really believe what Jesus says in Luke 10? Only one thing is needed. Only one thing is worthy of your concern. Jesus doesn't say only one thing is possible. He doesn't even say only one thing is helpful. He doesn't say if you ever do anything other than this one thing, you're wasting your time. He's simply telling us in the midst of our mindlessness, our distractions, our hurry and worry and noise, that that there's one always only necessary thing. If that's true, how many of us are choosing the wrong one thing? And we're choosing more noise for less Christ. When we could choose less noise for more Christ. Back to the story in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 39. Just a reminder, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet listening. (laughs) This is the why of silence, right? How well do I listen? I mean, not just to God, but to others. Because if I can't listen to others whose lips I can see move, I'm probably not listening well to God whose lips I cannot see. (laughs) How well do you listen? How curious are you? How humble are you? 
Do you abide in his words? Does scripture saturate your soul? Because if you aren't diving into this, then you're not listening. Have you ever let God interrupt you or, or is he always on your time, your agenda? See, this is the first step to less noise for more Christ. Step one is evaluate my soul noise. What's the first thing you do when you wake up? If it involves your phone, computer, the TV, you've probably got some soul noise. When's the last time you fasted from social media or even better, your phone? If you can't remember the last time you turned it off, you have some soul noise. In a typical day, do you give more time to CNN or Fox than you do to a sermon or or Bible reading plan or prayer? Are you more familiar with the motley fool than you are the rich young ruler? You, If so, you, you might have some soul noise. Do you have kids? You might have some soul noise. Step two is create a be still space. We need a place. We need a time. Verse 39, a woman named Martha welcomed him him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. We we did this during COVID, remember? I I told you we're going to do two two things during this season. Love our neighbors and be still and know that he is God. So at some point, I, I encourage you to create a be still space. Lynn's was on the front porch of our cabin, still is. In fact, on the day of her surgery, we had to be at the hospital stinking 6.30 in the morning. So I needed to get up at 5.30 to get ready. She got up at 5 so she could get her time on the porch. I'm telling you, with, with all the work I do for Calvary, there's more that happens in that be still space on our front porch than I'll ever accomplish. Moses had a burning bush on the far side of the wilderness and the tent of meeting at the far side of the camp. Elijah had a cave where God's voice came in the gentle whisper of silence. Susanna Wesley, mother of John Wesley, raised 17 kids in a very small home. So solitude was extremely hard to come by. Her be still space was a rocking chair in the middle of the room. When she threw a blanket over herself, it turned into her tent of meeting. Her kids never bothered her when the blanket was over her head. Jonah had a whale. Paul spent almost three years alone after the Damascus Road experience. Jesus often went to lonely places. He spent 40 days in the wilderness before his ministry began. My be still spaces most often a long drive in Rothrock. It doesn't have to be fancy. Mary's be still space was just a, a corner in her room in the midst of the commotion. Martha had the same house, same opportunity. But in verses 40 through 42, it says she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, but there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. I love that word discover. Mary has discovered it. See, this this practice of silence and solitude, it, it's more of an art than a science. It's more of a quest than a quantity. It's, it's not about counting minutes. It's not a, a transaction you can control. It's a discovery journey led by Christ. So that's step three, discover it. Linger as long as it takes to listen. The, the life work of a medical doctor named Richard Swenson was a global study of why our lives are so overloaded, distracted, and hurried. He made a list of, of the things that cause clutter, that cause noise in our lives. The first item on the list was accessibility. The fact that people can contact you 24-7 through multiple means. 
Let, let me ask you, how accessible are you to God? He's not going to text. Well, what would it look like for you to make your time more accessible to Jesus? My friend Terry Walling has an exercise that has been helpful to many of us. He calls it the every strategy. It's a, a very simple plan to discover our one thing every day, space for God. 30 minutes to an hour every week, solitude with God, one to two hours to kind of look back over your week and, and spend some time to God. Every month, silence with God, four to six hours. Every quarter, searching the heart of God, an overnight experience. Every year, setting, seeking next steps, two to three days, a, a spiritual retreat, a, a rhythm, a rule of life. It's a, it, it's just a strategy of lingering as long as it takes to listen, a rhythm of practicing solitude and silence. And again, why do we do it? I, I love the picture. I, I ran across this as I was studying these moments of silence in the, the Old and New Testament. But in Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, it says this very simple words. That it says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Let all the earth be silent before him. Imagine that. I mean, put yourself there. The Lord is near. Let all the earth be silent before him. Why is the whole earth silent before him? <laughs> because it doesn't want to miss a word. Jesus said to Martha, listen to me. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it, it will not be taken from her. Oh, my goodness, don't you just wish that was true? I mean, obviously, Martha and Mary and Jesus lived in simpler times, times when it was possible to pick one thing among all the other things that concern us. Today, today we would say, well, Jesus, you just don't understand. We've got COVID and, and Russia and Ukraine and, and artificial intelligence, and we still got rush, racial injustice, and I've got a test I got to study for, and, and that promotion that I think I missed. My marriage is a mess, and what about depression and addictions and anxiety and inflation, and oh my goodness, Jesus, are you serious? Just one thing to be concerned about, only one thing? But what if Jesus wasn't just being simplistic? What if in the midst of poverty and famine and Roman injustice and neighbors being crucified and unwanted baby girls being thrown in the garbage like milk gone bad and freedom of religion barely a memory of the ancient past? What if while living in a culture with a Caesar who thinks he's God, Jesus actually believes there's only one thing worthy of your concern? Listen. Get alone with me. Listen to my words. Now, the voice of Jesus created all things, stilled the storm, healed the leper, spoke truths that transformed souls, and, and now he wants to be alone with you. He wants to give you a word. He wants to saturate your soul with his voice, creating new realities and, and potential. Only one thing is worthy of our concern. If we discover it, it will not be taken away. This week, a friend of mine, Jen Taylor, wrote a comment on my Facebook post. God has really been at work in her life in the, these last months. And she wrote that glorious, gut-wrenching hunger for God. That's exactly what I've been feeling. I'd rather read the Bible, listen to a recorded sermon, take notes, listen to worship music. I, I've been spending hours every day soaking up his word. I'm absolutely loving it. I mean, what if soaking up his words became actually sitting at his feet? What if the breath of God comes through the word of God by the spirit of God and breathing in his words could become this experience of the living presence of Christ? What would you do for that? Less for more. We hear the word of God in the stillness. We find the life of God in his word. Stop looking for more 
where he is not. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that in the days to come that we would take seriously this this practice of silence and solitude, that we would empty out the noise and empty out the clutter. God, would you empty us of everything that is not you so that we could be filled with more of you, more of Christ, more of your word, your voice. God, I I pray that we would take this seriously, that we would practice, that we would experiment, that we would discover what works for us, that, that we would evaluate our soul noise and create a be still space, that we would linger as long as it takes to listen. God, we thank you for your desire to speak to us, your desire to be with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.